God, we declare that you are faithful and that you are good. But God, we declare that to ourselves when we don't believe it. Because some people right now feel that faithfulness and feel that goodness. But God, we don't always feel that. So God, for those people who are here that don't feel that, we declare it for them. And we stand in battle because God, we do believe that you are the victor in battle. We do believe that there are times that we're just supposed to remain still and there are times that we're supposed to fight. That's what we see in scripture. And so God, I pray that we might be those who hear your voice, who are close to you and we recognize your goodness and your faithfulness. For God, you are good even when you don't do what we tell you to do. Because we don't always do what you tell us to do. But God, you are the good God who loves us and does pursue us with your goodness and with your love. Amen, God, we thank you for that. Friends, I invite you to say hi to someone close to you and find your seats. to share with you. Now we have some excellent chapels. We're seeking in general this semester and our last semester for our chapels to be featuring our seminary professors. So that's generally who we have. But in two weeks, we have a missions chapel. And so this author and advocate for women um, who have been exploited and traumatized will be here. Her name is Rebecca Dang and we're really excited for her to be here. So come and, and even bring a friend to this, it's gonna be a very special chapel. She has a pretty impressive resume thus far and a lot of you are looking at that. So we do have next week will be Kelvin Walker, so please come to hear from him as well. Also, I don't know if y'all remember last semester, there was coffee. Yeah. And if you want it, do y'all remember? Yes. Did it bring you great and abiding joy? Yes. So uh, if you remember there was coffee, we need someone and we'll pay you to do this. So please contact Constance Diggs if you are interested in doing that. And uh, our speaker this evening is someone who's been teaching here on this campus for the last 20 years. He started in 2000. He teaches New Testament, he loves Greek, he helps you understand what good resources are, and he is an amazing man of God whose faith has been tested and tried and has turned out as gold. So please help me welcome Dr. Glenn Scheller. Okay, everything working here? Okay. Well, this evening, I would like to focus our thoughts on a single exhortation in the conclusion of Paul's letters to the church in Galatia. In 6.9, he writes, And let us not become weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. What does Paul have in mind when he speaks of well-doing? Well, in the immediate context, he mentions a number of things. Serve one another in love. Walking in relationship to the Spirit, such as the fruit of the Spirit is manifest in our lives. Coming alongside a brother or sister who sinned. Bearing each other's burdens. Providing support for those in the congregation who are providing for teaching and pastoral care. Living to the Spirit and not to the flesh doing good to all people, but especially to believers in need. And this obviously is not an exhaustive list. 
The simple fact is that if we belong to Jesus, we are called to well-doing in every aspect of our lives. And as Paul recognizes, it is very easy to become weary in well-doing and settle for a more comfortable life. Weariness and well-doing constantly threatens believers. We can be overwhelmed by the magnitude of the need and conclude that our little efforts cannot possibly make a difference. The contemporary term for this is compassion fatigue. Our motivation for well-doing can be fundamentally flawed. We can be motivated by a desire to fill the vacuum in our own soul with achievement, with the praise of others, with the status and power, or with frantic activity. When we discover that these anesthetics just don't work, uh, we can very easily give up on well-doing. We can be paralyzed by our inability to draw boundaries, to determine our priorities and say no to what God has not called us to do. As a result, we lose focus. There is a lot of doing, but the well part is missing. We might conclude that God is not fulfilling his part of the contract with sufficient blessings here and now for costly service. The criticism of others can be a powerful disincentive. The apathy of others is even more demoralizing. Others see the need, but are quite content to let us do the work rather than pitching in and helping out. We can wake up one day to the culture and tradition-bound character of so many Christian organizations and churches, and in a moment, our idealism can be destroyed by the acids of cynicism and disdain. We can despair at the obvious limitations in our own natural giftedness, training, and experience. To use the language of contemporary psychobabble, we forget that we all have the same inner superhero, our weakness and vulnerability. <coughs> we, can live, we can believe the lie that the meaningfulness of our work is defined by culturally generated standards of success. We can recoil in horror as we realize that many Christians are discipled not by the scriptures, not by Jesus, but by the likes of Fox News and Rush Limbaugh. We can be burned out by years of trying to do too much. So how do we keep a zeal for well-doing alive? How do we prevent this cancerous weariness that constantly threatens us? It occurs to me that the extensive self-help literature of, of our day has a wide range of essentially secular answers. Learn the skill of positive thinking. Be realistic in your expectations of yourself and others. Set priorities, stick to them. Bottom line is self-care in all of its various forms. There is a lot of value in all of these suggestions, although, frankly, some can easily become rather self-serving. But for the believer, there are deeper sources of life and energy to sustain a life of well-doing. The most enduring foundation, ultimately, is a life rooted in Christ and in the scriptures. If we have a vibrant relationship with Christ, we will be free from the need to prove ourselves by what we do, to gain the approval of others by our accomplishments, to meet the expectations of those who would like to control us. We will be free to serve for the right reasons, gratitude, compassion, love, 
and a passion for truth can become the motivational forces uh, of our service. A well-doing based on this foundation can endure. We will be able to leave the results of our well-doing to him. We will understand that Christ is head of the church. We are simply those he uses to accomplish his work. And when we have done what we believe he's called us to do in well-doing, we can trust the outcome to him. We will be able to let Jesus set the agenda for our well-doing rather than culture, church tradition, or well-meaning uh, believers who want us to work to their agenda. If we are deeply rooted in a vibrant relationship, not only with Christ, but also the scripture, we will have a healthy biblical realism. Our idealism will be tempered by a recognition of the powerful reality of sin in human experience, including the experience of God's people. We will understand the ease with which God's people are led astray, lose spiritual vitality, and become tradition-bound. We will understand the sin in our own hearts, which often frustrates our best intentions for well-doing. We will understand that God often uses the weak to accomplish tasks greater than their natural capacities. We will understand that God does not call us to meet every need uh, of which we have knowledge. He calls us to service to meeting needs, but only those to which he calls us. I used to constantly remind my wife when we were in the Philippines that need does not constitute a call. <laughs> Now, of course, we're so old that we don't even have to remind ourselves of that. <laughs> um, we will discover that true life is found in sacrificial service. True life is not found, as culture constantly tells us, in prioritizing the fulfillment of our own needs and desires. On this issue, we are sorely tempted to believe the world's wisdom rather than God's wisdom. We see plenty of Christians who seem to be doing a pretty good job of combining service of God and mammon. And we wonder whether we should do the same, even if it means that we become weary in well-doing. Resist the temptation by listening to Jesus, by being attentive to scriptures, and listening to the experience of God's people down through the ages. We will discover, as we are grounded in scriptures, that opposition will be integral, an integral part of Christian experience. My goodness, read the prophets. They got no, re no positive reinforcement whatsoever from the beginning to the end of their lives. And so no results, no outcome, no, nothing good came of it. And yet they just kept whistling in the wind and speaking God's word to a people that had no interest in hearing very reminiscent of what we observe in the world right uh, today, and at least in American society. Um, Paul experienced severe criticism from various sources in the church. Conservative Jewish Christians were appalled by his refusal to impose the entire Mosaic law on Gentiles. Some at Corinth despised him for his lack of cultural sensitivity in defining the gospel. He was too countercultural. He would not allow them to reshape their understanding and practice of the gospel to accommodate Greco-Roman culture. In the midst of the stress, criticism, and opposition, which clearly took a toll on Paul, 
can see it in both first, particularly in Second Corinthians. Paul did not lose heart and give up, and we don't need to either. It sounds like actually like an overworked cliche to say that the key to maintaining our zeal for service lies in sustaining a relationship with Christ and the Scripture. Many who have lost their zeal still read the Scripture, still pray, and appear to be doing the right things. I suspect, however, that all too often the time with Scripture and Christ is extremely superficial, and as a result, it does not energize and uh, perhaps I think it's just simply the word well done. Uh, thou good and faithful servant spoken in a way that we can't even begin to imagine. Uh, it's uh, power uh, when it is spoken to us. Either way, the implication of this little clause makes all the difference as to whether we see life as totally meaningful or utterly meaningless. This clause reminds us that the short life we live out in this world is simply a brief prelude to a glorious eternity with God. Here and now we wrestle with innumerable sources of discouragement. But what is 30 or 40 or 80 years of tough perseverance in the light of eternity? As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I sometimes think that if we could glimpse just a little of the glory of the age to come, our, our anxiety, our fear, our lack of trust, our selfishness, our double-mindedness, our doubt would evaporate. There would be little danger that we would ever become weary in well-doing. But we can't glimpse that glory now. God has chosen that we live by faith, not by sight. And thus we must be sustained by the biblical promise, not by personal visions and experiences of the age to come now. In a recent book, The Eclipse of Heaven, the author argues that the glory of the age to come has moved to the fringes of evangelical theology and piety. I wonder if this is one reason why we see so many Christians putting themselves first and the interest of the kingdom a distant third. Our commitment to well-doing will at some level be related to an ability to maintain an eternal perspective. What is God calling you in this area? To invest more time in a faltering marriage? To speak the truth in a context where people are unwilling to hear the truth? To meet the practical needs of others? To put Jesus in the kingdom first, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, to trust God in the midst of tremendous adversity, to be shaped more by the gospel and Jesus than by the world and culture, to forgive someone who has wronged you, to persevere in difficult situations, to leave a situation, to deepen your relationship with God, to take advantage of opportunities to show your faith. For each of us, each of us must answer this question ourselves. But to each of us, God says, do not become weary in well-doing. For in due season, you will reap a reward if you do not give up. Thank you, Glenn. Would you stand for a moment with me?
invite you to close your eyes for just a minute. Kind of put your, put your hands up as a cup, not because I'm going to bless you quite yet. But put your hands up as a cup. And what I want you to do is just silently place all those other agendas that are not God's agenda that have been given to you that, that he mentioned. Whether it's your own agenda, other people's agenda, the world's agenda for your life and for your doing. And place it there and when you're ready, I just want you to turn your hand over and throw it down. Do it when you're ready. Let go of the agenda that is not God's for you. And if you've been able to turn your hands over, great. And if not, you've got to find the time to do that, friends, because that's what we're called to. And would you turn your hands up as a cup again? You've gotten rid of the other agendas. And ask the Lord to give his agenda for you in your doing. And listen. Whatever you heard from the Lord, you probably need to write down somewhere and you probably need to listen more. You can listen more with other people. You can listen more on your own. But uh, I invite you also to turn toward me and receive the blessing of the Lord for you. Friends, as you do, may you remember that it's not all about your faithfulness. It's about God's. Friends, as you do, may you remember that it's not all about your goodness, it's about God's. Remember that God is faithful. Remember that God is the good. And may you receive the rest of God that makes you not weary so that you can continue and persevere. May you do all this to the glory of God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace.